Ladies and gentlemen, we're shoveling and shoveling and shoveling and shoveling. This is the growing season brought to you by News Talk. It's like a 960 AM. I'm Matt McFarland. And as usual, I am joined by mom and dad, Jack and Lynn to some, but to me, they're my parents. Guys, how are you? You know what, Matthew? I am absolutely fine, but let me tell you, this is one tough topic we're doing today. Yeah. Mom? Yeah. I, I'll tell you, after after doing the reading on this topic, it made me feel kind of sad. Yeah. Or Agreed. apprehensive. Agreed. But I'm fine, too. Perfect. Okay, so mentioning the shoveling, winter has definitely hit us. Over the last couple of weeks, we have been nailed with probably no less than around 45 to 50 centimeters of snow. And the snow banks along the sides of my driveway are, are such that I have not seen in many winter, or at least a couple winters. And why I talk about that is we're chatting today about a topic that mom and dad made mention about it. This is a bit of a difficult one. We're going to call this hortistinction. It's actually hard to say, hortistinction. And over the last probably five weeks, we've been tackling topics that were delving into the weirdness when it comes to horticulture. And every single time we would chat about a certain plant and its inclusion on what they call the red list, which is the endangered list or the soon-to-be endangered plant or whatever it is, it's always talking about how encroachment, human encroachment and climate change is devastating this particular plant, which got us to thinking, wait a second. Well, but what about extinction? Are there plants that have gone extinct? Are there plants that are about to go extinct? And unfortunately, we begin to dive into that research and there's a list of plants that are about to go extinct that are going to shock you, absolutely shock you. For those that are really big fans of the Fraser fir around Christmas, uh, this is one that is on the brink. Magnolia, also on the brink, okay? So stuff that, it isn't just like your Jurassic Park level plants that nobody knows. These are ones that, that people know. So we're going to talk about hortistinction on the growing season today. We're going to try to keep things as light as humanly possible. She's Lynn, he's Jack, I'm Matt, and uh, maybe you should sit down. This is the growing season right here on News Talk, it's like a 960 AM. We're back. Mom, Dad, I don't know about you, but my kids, in fact, forget my kids, all of us here in the McFarland household, in the Matthew John McFarland household, we've got the winter blahs going. Uh, the kids are at each other. They are lethargic. They, they don't want to do their schoolwork. Now, granted, they've also been trapped in the house for the better part of, of a year, coming on to a year anniversary here of, of all this craziness. And January was kind of drab and not really snowy. So, we got the blahs going on here. And then, of course, what do we do here at the growing season? We choose potentially one of the most melancholy topics. Uh, if Wait a minute, Matt. Sad and depressing, right? So sucky and depressing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, completely. Yeah, And so we're going to do our best today to try to keep things as light as humanly possible. GrowingSeasonCanada.com. Click on Show Bits. Look, if you're at home and uh, you ever wanted to put a little bit of Bailey's in that coffee... <laughs> This is the time. This yeah, is the time this to do be it. A good time. Yeah, we're going to be chatting today, as I made mention on the tee up, we're going to be chatting about plants that have either gone extinct or are about to. And I have the list in front of me about the ones that are on the brink, and it makes me sad. So we're going to try to keep things as light as possible. Now, some of these you're not even going to have to go to show bits for. Some of these you're going to know, and it's it's kind of frightening. Mom, Dad, give me a little bit of an insight into how the research for this went. Did you guys need to take this in little bits and then? Uh, <laughs> go off and have a good long cry together or what? Do you know what, Matthew? It was, it was slow and methodical because I know a lot of the science and everything behind it all, but it was, it was kind of depressing to find out why this was happening. 
And most of the time, what we were finding was it was either three items mainly. It was to do with climate change. It was to do with the fact that maybe there was overgrazing or deforestation, that kind of idea. Right. And lastly, believe it or not, medicinal. So medicinal is also taking some of this stuff out. Yeah, uh, taking a couple main ones out. You wouldn't believe it. Really? Okay, so don't so don't get into it yet. Maybe we should leave that. Sorry, are we getting into that today? Second by the half. way, okay. So by the way, for our audience, there's so much information here. We're going to break this up into two parts. So not only do you get to, <laughs> you get to be depressed on this week's show, but we're going to give you a two by four across the face <laughs> next week's show as well. We're going to do a two part series on this. Okay. And again, we do not bring this up in any way to make you feel awful, but it's stuff, it's information that, that we should probably get out there. Yes. I found your dad and I, when we researched this, yes, we said this is really depressing. Then it launched us into a discussion of what we could do about it. I don't mean big, grandiose things. I just mean in our everyday lives. And, and we got into some very interesting discussions around this. Cool. Uh, but Wonderful. it is, it's, it's sobering. I think that's the word I would use. This information is sobering. Yeah, because, and Dad, you made mention of this. This was one of the things that, that you chatted about with me in the, in the pre-production meeting for this for this episode and you said you know everybody talks about the the peregrine falcon everybody talks about the dodo bird and the animals that have gone extinct but we don't hear about the plant materials that have gone extinct in fact i remember one of i keep coming back to jurassic park but one of the lines that i remember the most from jurassic park is dr ellie sattler who was wonderfully played by by miss laura dern she says as they're traversing through their first couple kilometers through Jurassic Park. They haven't even seen a dinosaur yet. And she's grabbed a hold of some prehistoric plant, its leaf, and she's like, wait a second. This variety of whatever has been extinct since the Cretaceous period. This thing shouldn't even be here. So when they begin to realize the scope of what John Hammond, the creator of Jurassic Park, has done, they're now sitting in their, their, they're having their chili and, and sea bass after they've witnessed a cow lowered into the raptor pen, okay, <laughs> for, for, for lunchtime. And they're sitting in this, in this room. And actually, John Hammond, the creator, turns to Ellie Sattler and, um, and uh, Sam Neill. Oh, what was the guy's name? It doesn't even matter. But so he turns to him and says, you know, so, you know, what do you think? And the doctor, Elias Sattler, who's a paleobotanist, says, you know, you've chosen these plants here because they're beautiful and they look wonderful and they give you this wonderful appeal on your island. But these are dangerous species and they don't know that they've woken up in the year 1993 or, or 94 or whatever it was. And they're going to defend themselves if necessary. So that line, when dad, when you were talking about no one thinks about the plants, that line stuck out to me because I remember thinking, that's right. It isn't just the animals. The dinosaurs didn't go extinct only. It was also plant material. Yeah? Sure, man. And they were saying that 571 seed-bearing plants have gone extinct around the world. In the last two and a half centuries. Now, Mom, I know that you want to jump on the dodo bird thing quickly, though. Yeah, actually, I've got a couple things to talk about that went extinct. These are animals, and one of the reasons that one of the reasons Dad and I discussed that people don't think of plants as going extinct, well, they are. Is animals are cute? They're fuzzy. They right. got big eyes. You see that ad on TV with the mama polar bear and the two cubs, and you just want to give the money to you know help them so they don't go extinct, but you don't see any plants. 
on ads about extinction. But the dodo bird, now this bird lived on the island of more, I'm having trouble pronouncing it, Mortius. And this is an island in an island chain about 1,500 kilometers southeast of um, Africa. So it's pretty isolated. So the dodo had not encountered humans until 1598. When wait, Dutch- wait, wait, wait. So what was so important about the dodo bird? It was pretty big. It was 18 kilograms. Oh, what was more important than that? I'm not sure. It was the first time oh, humans aided an extinction. In, in an extinction. In recorded history. In recorded history. Whoa, 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 hold up a second. Wait a minute. This was the first case of direct correlation between human interference yeah. and Absolutely. extinction. Yeah. Really? Sorry, Mom, yeah. what year was this? Uh, well, 1598, Dutch sailors landed on the island of Mauritius okay. and saw the dodo bird. Now, the dodo bird didn't know anything about humans. They didn't realize they would become prey. They, they didn't react at all. But the Dutch sailors and uh, following explorers, when they came to this island, they hunted the dodo down and they killed it. And by 1693, the last dodo died. And this is the first recorded event of humans causing extinction. Now, I'm sure it happened thousands of years before. But you just didn't know about it. It wasn't recorded. This one was recorded. The other thing that this brings back, and I'm consistently amazed at the level of knowledge that I glean from the growing season right here on News Talk Saga 960 AM is we talked about how I forget how many species I want to say thousands but I'm not sure if that's accurate thousands of species of evergreens or coniferous cone-bearing plant materials went extinct because of the ice age is that correct was that is that what I am am I am I remembering correctly I would say yes but I would say that it was mainly coniferous that survived the ice age up on the tire, the higher mountain ranges and so forth, man. Right. Now, our our trees and plants, our trees have been here uh, for a very long time. Deciduous trees first appeared 390 million years ago. Okay. Coniferous came along 200 million years ago. Flowers appeared along with the honeybee yep. uh, 130 million years ago. Now, Fruit and nut trees. 60 to 100 years ago, and grasses are the last ones on the stage. They appeared 55 million years ago. So all of these plants have been around for a long time. Okay, so here's the here's the question. I'm not sure if you guys would have the answer to this, but this brings up a wonderful debate. What came first, the flower with the landing pad or the bee? Together. No, there, one had to come first. Then the flower. It would be the flower because yeah. there were already wasps here. Okay. So I think the honeybee, which is a nexus that happened around okay. 130, 140 million yeah. years because ago. Because some, the some of these things could be wind pollinated. And as you're saying, mosquitoes were out there. So you're getting a certain level of pollination that way. You're also Flies, getting pollen birds. in birds and wasps, yeah. right? Sure. Right. Sure. But none but of them were really nearly... Remember, wasps, Matt, they, they, they were fast flyers, but they really weren't interested in the flowers per se they were more interested in catching live prey right well yeah, and you said eaters. you said too just that the honeybee was just by far and away more efficient with it yeah here's a really scary number for you matthew yeah there's approximately three hundred and sixty nine thousand seed bearing flowering plants on earth okay right now okay okay if the bees were not around how many would be gone give me that first number again Three six nine thousand three hundred and sixty nine thousand seventy five percent 
Uh, 75%. Can you give me a number, like in numbers? Uh, 210,000. 250,000 various flowering plants with seed flowering, you know, seed bearing, would be gone. Just like that. Holy. So then people like Morgan Freeman, who are doing his level best to bring the bee back or to make things more appealing for the bee to be here... This is really helping. Like, you're not talking about, oh, let's have the bee around because cosmos are so pretty. We're talking, we need these things badly. Badly, badly, Oh, yeah, because without the bees, we'll be extinct, too. Yeah. Do you know, Matt, that 70 out of the top 100 food crops on Earth, right, which basically is 90% of the world's nutrition, is pollinated by bees. Think about that one for a second. That's insane. So that's really important. But Matt, trees are amazing, okay? Like, what happens, Matt, is they actually can communicate with each other, okay? Yep. So so they have a, they're very diverse in, in the areas that they are located because they, they are, they're diverse because they live in these areas, okay? So they actually help each other quite a bit. But Matt, they, they actually share water, nutrients, that kind of thing, and they commu- communicate with each other through fungal networks, okay? It's almost like little... <laughs> It's the World Wide Web for trees. Yeah, right? I'm not lying, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, it's like thin filaments, Matt, that connect approximately 90% yeah. Yeah. of the trees and plants on Earth. Think about that one for a minute. See, uh, you know, while you're at it, switch over to uh, Sequoia Net. Got the fastest rates of speed and the highest bit rate for any... For yeah, I know, any but, but, Sequoia you know, Net. Matt, they, they don't communicate the way we communicate, okay? No. They would use chemical... Hormones, electrical signals, that kind of idea, even pheromones, okay, Matt? But the problem is, okay, so let's say that all this communication is going on. Let's say, uh, let's pick a tree. Let's pick an Almus Americana. There's your Latin alert, okay? Thanks, Dad. Yep. We had approximately, what happened back in the 30s when they introduced that bit of lumber that was brought in for some place in Cleveland. Remember, Matt? Yes. And all these, all, all of a sudden, all our elm trees got affected by the Allen bark beetle, right? Yeah. Or the actual European uh, beetle, correct? Yes. Those two beetles got together, and then we had all the problems, Matt. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so then what does this have to do with the extinct... Sorry, I guess you're talking about how that's how the elm went extinct? Sure. Well, Matt, it's not really extinct per se. Okay, there are new varieties that they have brought out that are, are fine now. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is, just think of this, Matt. 100 million trees basically just disappeared over a matter of decade, decade and a half. Think about that one. I I mean, I agree. And we've talked about this on, I'm not sure whether it's the growing season here or on the landline, by the way, if you haven't tuned into the landline, that is our live stream show. Right now we're on our winter formatting, uh, our winter format for it. And it's, it airs twice a month uh, all across Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter via Periscope. If you are part of the Ontario Gardeners Facebook group, you can see it there. As well as if you miss it, no worries, uh, growingseasoncanada.com. Click on TGS Live and that gives you all the replays. But I've talked about how the the holy grail of trees is the, oh, what is it? The Camper Down Elm, right? Sure. This thing looks like a something out of Lord of the Rings. Super weeping. Right. Hyper, hyper, yep. hyper weeper, but just the most beautiful, gorgeous, gorgeous tree, and yet we don't have any of these things around. Dad, you made mention in the 1970s that this is all that you guys were planting. Every, everything had a Camper Downy on it, right? Yeah, it was actually a very nice tree, Matthew, and, but after a while we became a little bit concerned that that was going to be a problem as well. But Matt... If, if the trees are communicating with each other, okay, through these filaments and so forth within the ground, 
And they basically are communicating with each other. So an alum would be probably communicating with another alum and so forth. It's not like grass with an alum, okay? That kind of idea. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, man. I don't, I, I don't speak grass. Same language. I don't speak grass, okay? Well, I was going to say, too, the problem with the grass communicating is their mouth is in their butt, right? So... It's, yeah, all, it's all they mouth. Have a potty mouth. <laughs> they have a potty mouth. Good for you. Yeah, they have a Fantastic. potty mouth. But, Maddie, so what happens if they're all talking at the same time? What's, the, what's, then, what's happening then? Let's say they're being all taken over by insects and so forth. What's, ha- what's going to happen then? Is this where they get the, if a tree screams in the forest and no one's around, does it, is it actually, can you hear it? Pretty close. Okay. That's not bad. Okay. White noise. Okay. White noise. So, they're so just, they can't really communicate much with each other. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. So, this, a, Dad, would this it, would it sound like uh, the dinner table at a um, at an at an all Italian family's Christmas dinner, where they're just all it. talking at each other over top of each other? <laughs> You're like, I don't even know what's happening. Yeah. You, you, <laughs> no, absolutely, 100. Yeah. percent But Matt, what would happen then if let's just take this one step further? Okay, let's get away from the elements for a minute. Yep. So, what would happen then if all the plants went extinct? Uh, that wouldn't be good. Well, oxygen would be my first question. Yeah, it would not be nice. It would not be nice at all. In fact, okay, plants and trees supply all kinds of habitat for animals. And these animals would lose their habitat. The animals that eat plants, the herbivores, they would starve to death. The meat eaters would have a great time for a while, but then the oxygen would become unbalanced and we'd all be extinct. 250 million years ago, there was a massive extinction. It was called the Permian extinction. And 90% of species on Earth went extinct. Whoa. Now, Mom, of those 90% species, do they know anything of significance where, like, wow, if this hadn't have gone extinct, it would have been amazing to see this thing? I don't know. I okay. didn't look into that yeah. part of it. Okay. But in this extinction, uh, they've done studies. At, they think that as far as the plants are concerned, because of climate change, there was an aggressive tree-killing fungi that was triggered by climate change, and it killed off most of the forest. In fact, I'm not sure if any tree species survived from that era to be with us now. Now, here's a question. Well, I guess the deciduous must have, because they've been on Earth for 390 million years, and we still have them. But 90% okay. of now, species died. Here's what I don't, I don't like this broad stereotyping. Okay, you always hear about the aggressiveness of the male fungus, but so would the female, would the, would the fun girl not, not be so fun? Because well, it, why is it always it, us? Why, why, is it, why is it my brethren? Huh? Yeah, no, it was an aggressive tree-killing fungi. It didn't it yeah. didn't give the sex of the fungi. Yeah, oh, I see what you mean. Oh, my uh, God. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, uh, yeah, Lynn yeah. McFarland needs another. I one, sorry. Yeah, yeah, you need another tea, badly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, but so the point being is that there was this aggressive fungi that, you know, or not so fungi, that, that wiped out all of these trees. And so from there... From the ashes of this fungi's rave party of death, uh, everything that we have now rose up, yes? Yeah, right, yeah. Okay. I mean, as you said, 90%, so 10% survived, and that's basically, it's evolved into what we have now. Wow. But you know what, Matt? We still have remnants of those remaining today. We have something called a Wallemi pine, okay? Okay. And they, 
are they exist in very small areas within around the world and one of the places they uh, exist is in Wareland Australia in okay. a secret canyon in Australia Can you guys spell that for me Well let me uh, W O L L E M I Now I have a bit of a gripe with this aggressive fun guy uh, oh. you didn't you didn't take Austrian pine with you you should have <laughs> Okay we could have been rid of this now, granted, what would have happened is there would have been significant uh, income loss for Jack McFarland because he would have been out back of the property in the 1980s going, you know, I just, I feel like something's missing here. Something yeah. is missing. I just can't put my finger on it, but something is oh, missing. I feel bad for the poor Austin Pie. <laughs> they serve a purpose. Yep. Yep. That's right. Firewood. <laughs> Not much firewood. Not much firewood. <laughs> yeah. Eh? They served a purpose. You know what? Uh, my sister and I got, got Christmas presents under the tree because of dad's propensity for selling Austrian pines. Yes? But Matt, what was, what was crucial about this, these Wollemi pine? And they were saved from the wildfires in Australia. Remember, we did that show last year on the wildfires in, in uh, Australia. So this group of, of these pines, because they're so rare were actually protected. The firemen went out and they protected them and saved them so they wouldn't be burned in the fire. And they wouldn't divulge the location. And they won't tell the location you're right. around then. No, they won't really? because these are the last surviving pines. And they're they're from prehistory. And they, they don't want mankind, people kind, to get into, it's a canyon. They wouldn't divulge the location to get in and, you know. Same as those try to cut. Right? Pieces of wood from them or whatever. Because you, the wood cycads, right? Oh, the wood cycads, yeah. Okay, because yeah. you know you'd have some idiot getting in there saying, okay, so look, we're going to make furniture out of this, right? Yeah, or they'll, Absolutely. Or they'll chisel their name into a branch oh, or something. Just a bunch of idiots. Okay, you guys mentioned this wood cycad thing. Now that we're on this, this to me, ladies and gentlemen, now here's what, here's what happens, okay? So generally the first, generally the first kiss on a date or in a relationship is something that happens at the end of the relationship. Well, in this particular case, the kiss, the climax of the event and take that how you will, we're going to actually do it during dinner. Okay. <laughs> in the public. Eye. All right. So this wood cycad thing, when my dad and mom told me this, my mind was blown. This thing is native to South Africa, but it, there are no female trees left in the wild. So this is why this tree is so stiff, because there's no females left in the wild. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> there you go. Thank you, Dad. Uh, so they, they, they I was at one point males and females, but they don't have them today. So basically, anything that you've got is what you've got. If there is going to be reproduction, it has to be vegetative. Dad, what does that mean? They're doing it from cuttings or grafts or okay. stuff like that. Right. So right? you're getting an exact clone of the male. Yes, right. exactly. It's just like right. it's an, a complete duplicate of whatever you're taking the cutting from. So the male would be the, the one, and I would. That's how they get reproduction is by by but, doing the cuttings or the clippings. Okay, yeah. but where did the female go? Where? Like, were the, did they, they just get they sick of the out. male cycads and they're like, "We're out of here. I'm done. I can't." You, you yeah, guys, no, they died out, Matthew. For some unknown reason, they just seemed to die out. There was no. They didn't give any sort of reason. They just said that they just disappeared. They haven't seen them in years. They they said there could be one out there somewhere, but they, they're doubtful. Okay. Okay. And a cycad looks like a stumpy palm palm tree. I didn't know what it was when Dad started talking about it, so I looked at a picture of it. It looks like a a short stumpy palm tree. Yeah, and this is <sighs> refresh my memory, guys. Remember the Ents in Lord of the Rings? Yes. Yes. 
didn't they talk about how it was all male ents and they had not seen a female ent for years? I forget. I'm going to have to research that on commercial break. I think, I think they had said, because I believe that when there was a, like, like a dating, they, there was almost like a speed dating thing for ents or something. And, and it was called an enting. And they had said, I believe, I'll check on commercial break, but there was no female ents. You know what happened? The female ents and the female wood side cat, they just took off. They're like, yo, yeah. I'm, I'm going down the street. <laughs> we're taking, we're taking them females. We out. We're, we're done. I agree, Matt. But you know what? It, a lot of times it's not just climate change or, you know, uh, they're doing, uh, you know, cutting down the forest or whatever, Matt. But sometimes the actual plant itself, like they said there, there was no females left in the wild for the cycads. But, Matt, you've heard of the monkey puzzle tree, Oricaria oricana? Yep. So, Matt, these uh, monkey puzzle trees have been on Earth for probably 60, 80, 100 million years. I'm not sure the exact amount of time. But, Matt, what is really, here's, again, getting in their own way, okay? The seeds will pollinate in a few months, okay? That's pretty typical, right? Yeah. But get this. It takes 30 to 40 years for the seeds that are produced to actually germinate, okay, and form a new seed. Think about that one for a minute. Okay. This is evolution's problem. Why? Why would this be this way? I have no idea, man. They said that they, they consider this uh, one of the really true primitive conifers alive today. That's what they're saying, okay? Uh-huh. Okay. But again, wh- why would they... <laughs> why would it be designed in such a fashion that it takes this long for it to germinate? It's almost like they are engineering in extinction into this into this tree. I think one of the reasons they have that big, long space of time is maybe the little seed won't germinate unless the conditions are right. So the tree has evolved uh, that the seed can be viable for that many years because it gives them a better chance. Hopefully within 30 years, the right conditions occur and it can germinate. And that's a wonderful place to jump to a commercial break. And my dad is still viable after all these years. Speaking of, <laughs> speaking of him, he's Jack, she's Lynn, I'm Matt, and we'll talk about my dad's viability on the other side. This is the growing season on News Talks, like at 9.60 a.m. GrowingSeasonCanada.com is the website. Click on Show Bits. It's the visual accompaniment to the show. And I might just drop some pictures of cartoon characters and such in, you know, once in a while just to keep things light because this one is... Actually, this one, guys, we've managed to squeeze some laughs in here, which is good because I was expecting this to be just... Duh, 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 like, just awful, like, dirgy, right? But it's actually... We've, we've managed to keep things a little bit light in true growing season fashion. So... Dad, you wanted to make sure that we touch on the giant sequoias. And if there is one tree on Earth 
that fascinates me more than most, it would be these suckers. Firstly, I've never seen one with my own two eyes. You have. We have, Matt. Yeah, and you say that that I remember, and again, contrary to popular belief, I do listen to my dad. I listen to most things that he says. Uh, well, when he's talking about his love and you know adoration for parts of my mother, I tend to not listen. But um, <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. But, I, but I do listen to what he says. And I remember, Dad, you saying when you visited your sister, Anne-Marie, the lovely Anne-Marie in California, you said that when you walked into this state park, like a conservation... Mirror's Woods. It's okay. called Mirror Woods. All right. You said it was an almost religious experience. It was dead quiet, and you're surrounded by these, these beings that almost look fake. Yes? Yes, Matt. And the thing is, they can be, you know, 60, 70, 80 meters high, depending on the tree itself. Like, there's one out there called General Sherman that's in the neighborhood of 1.222 million kilos and about 100 feet around at the base and roughly almost, uh, I think it's around 200 feet tall. So it's a pretty big thing, Matt. Wow. Okay, now, is General Sherman the one that has the bark that is no less than two feet thick? Yes. Yeah, Good lord! Centimeters, yeah. Okay, so General Sherman, you know, remember we were talking last week about people running around shooting the cactus? Pew, pew. Yes. Okay, so General Sherman needs to loan some of his Kevlar, some of his bulletproof, to some of these poor uh, saguaro cacti, because let let me tell you, <laughs> the two foot thick that. bark. You know what's interesting? And uh, after the cactus show, first of all, Dad, kudos to you. Actually, sorry, Dad and Mom, kudos to you guys for posting a bunch of cacti pics across all of these Facebook gardening groups that we're a part of because there was a lot of response. Austin Matthews, conceivably, and I don't even have to squint my eyes or use my imagination to say this, conceivably the best player in the NHL right now. Okay, I believe as of uh, he's got like something like 18 or 19 goals in 17 games or something ridiculous like that. Insane. Absolutely insane. But he's from Arizona and his nickname on the team, dad, is they call him Big Cactus. Is that right? <laughs> they call him Big Cactus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just thought it was funny. But Matt, you know what? They see that there's only about 8,000 of these remaining in the wild, the big giant ones, right? The big it's sequoias, gigantic. not not the cactus. Yeah. That's a big toy. No, no, no. Okay. no. Yeah. The sequoia den, uh, dendron, uh, giganteum, I think it's called, yeah. Matt. But think about that. Only 8,000. And they only live in very limited range, okay? So they, where do they go then? Where are they actually located? Northern California into Oregon. One of the things that they need and they would not get in Southern California, is they need fog. So That's right, because, Mom, this is their main, one of their primary sources of hat. water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a cold current going down the coast of California when the warm, well, not <laughs> arid, dry, hot air hits this current. It creates fog, and these trees have evolved to take in this fog as part of their moisture because it sure as heck doesn't rain much there. I mean, well, we, yeah. We, and then the other problem is they're so high and they're choking out so much of like so much rainwater from hitting their, their root system because they're so high and the canopy. So it's like, so spread out. Yes. Yes. And Matt, here's, here's a good question for you. So they remember I was talking about sometimes trees get in their own way, okay? Yes. And this one is exactly the same way, okay? So you're looking at something that's very tall, okay? And when it does produce seeds and they're viable, it would be somewhere in the neighborhood of some somewhere 20, 30, 40 years, okay? And that's when the seeds are viable. But the problem is that a lot of these seeds never come and germinate 
what is the main reason? Like maybe 10 or 15% of the seeds germinate. Why is it, Matt? Uh, well, okay, so you would be not getting necessarily a lot of rain down That's there as well as sunlight because sunlight. It, it's choking out the sun. <laughs> yes. They're not getting, so around the perimeters of the actual big redwoods, there'd be enough light there for some of the ones to start to grow. Right. So anything right in the middle where the large ones are standing, they're not getting enough light, they're not getting enough moisture, therefore they're not going to actually become new trees. And remember, Matt, a baby tree in a redwood is 250 years old. Jeez. You know, you know who, who that reminds me of? You. Right? <laughs> right? Well, no, but... Well, and, I'm I, actually... I'm older than Dad, so I guess I'm... Well, but I mean, <laughs> but Dad, in whatever species he, he, he is, being Yoda, because, I mean, 900, and they're still cooking, right? They're still going nuts. They're, they're still <laughs> making rocks levitate. I love it. I love it. So, okay, but guys, why... Why, while we're on this, why was this such a religious experience? Being someone that has not seen it with his own two eyes, and, and, and I would love to, by the way. Now, granted, the chances of travel right now are very slim, as well as going into the United States is not something that I'm very excited about. But why is this a religious experience? Do you know, Matt, when, I, when we walked into Mere Woods, these high, high trees all around us, it was like walking into a medieval cathedral. Really? It, it was quiet, and it, was, it wasn't It was like they had signs up saying, please be quiet, because, you know... People I, kept their voices down and yeah, everything. Yeah, it was almost a religious experience, because you're looking at these trees that have been there for hundreds and hundreds of years. Thousands. Yeah, and the atmosphere was so peaceful. It's, it's all different shades of green and brown, and at the foot of the trees, there's all these sorrel growing. It's just such a peaceful, green experience and it was i would say religious you, you know you're you're looking you're looking at these trees and saying you know this is part of creation and it, it was just absolutely beautiful maddie can we jump to the rainforest quick absolutely for sure go what's up so matt approximately seven million hectares of forests are lost annually in the rainforest seven million hectares annually yes yikes so you think about this for a minute we keep talking about longevity of trees and so forth. So agricultural land expands by roughly 6 million hectares a year. So that goes to show you, because there's 7 billion people on Earth, we need a lot of food to eat. That kind of idea, right? Well, yeah, and this, they always call, isn't it the rainforest, aren't these the lungs of the Earth? You've got it. Yeah, it represents somewhere between 12 and 20% of the oxygen needs of the planet. So it, it supplies a lot, Matt. But the thing is, Think about this for a second. About 150 acres of trees are cut down and burned every minute in the rainforest. Oh, my God. Okay, means- so, Dad, you're not really doing anything here to lighten the mood, by the way. Okay, so... <laughs> well, we... Can we do... Can, can, just, just be patient, Matt. Yeah, It'll get lighter, well, okay? I got, yeah, because right, <laughs> right, right now, like, right now, you really are wah-wah, like, really Debbie Downer. All right. Go ahead with your 150 acres a minute. and uh. Okay. Anyway, so our 200,000 acres are cut and burned daily, okay? Okay. Great. Which represents, again, about 78 million acres per year. You got it? Yep. Absolutely. Okay. Anyways, getting to it. So, Matt, you must have noticed that every, every Christmas comes along now. And we don't see Brazil nuts. Do you have any, any idea why? Yes, I do. Because this has to do with climate change as well as the Brazil nut tree is on the decline. Yes? It's 
basically on a decline. Okay, Matt, so the Brazil nut trees are probably going to be around for about another 35 years, and most of which the problem is because of climate change okay. and deforestation. You got it? Yeah. Yeah, no, so and we never. Yeah, and we had talked about this on, was it one of the Christmas shows where we had said that we don't see this now? Like, but like we don't no. see these nuts anymore because it was, yeah, it was loss of forest habitat, loss of forest habitat for agriculture. Ranching. They said that ranching was a big thing. Yeah? Yeah, that was really bad. Or they put roads in for agriculture, like you said. Yeah. But the problem was because of climate change, there hasn't been enough moisture so that the nuts premature, uh, prematurely fall off and, and onto the ground and before they're ripe. You got it? Yep. Okay. So not enough moisture. So same as you, Matt. In the morning, if you were not having enough water to drink and your Brazils fell on the floor, you wouldn't like it much either, right? It was going yeah, to be a ripe joke in there and things falling off. But yeah, okay, <laughs> you sort of beat me to it. Yes, absolutely, for sure. Yes. It's, you but, know what? It's, for it's your, a shame, actually. For your Brazil nuts, it's, always, it's, it's all about being hydrated. Yes? Yes, you yes, must make yes. sure. <laughs> yes. Let's keep your Brazil nuts hydrated or you're going to have problems. But Matt, same idea. Okay, so let's flip over to bananas. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. The, Brazil nut, the Brazil nut has a helper. What's the helper? Well, there was, there's this little animal that runs around oh, in the forest right. called a nagouti. And this little animal scatters the Brazil nuts, eats some, buries some. It's like a squirrel here, only it's a tropical little rodent that does it. Well, it looks like a, like a stinking uh, groundhog. Yeah, but what's okay. happening is that this animal is considered a pest, so it's being killed off, and it's the little nut planter. Okay. There's a joke there, too, that I won't make, but I'm going to tell you right now. Yeah. <laughs> okay, speaking of, speaking of squirrels, okay, so we have Disney+. Plus. And thank God for Disney Plus because it's kept us busy during the pandemic. But one of their newest movies is something called Flora and Ulysses. And it's this. Yeah, we saw an ad for that. Okay, so it's this little girl and she rescues a squirrel that gets sucked up in a robot vacuum. Okay? Oh my. And it turns out that the, the vacuum cleaner sucking the squirrel up bestows upon the squirrel superpowers. Okay, there's some sort of a chemical. Uh, transition that occurs in the squirrel <laughs> it's just it's this little red squirrel and it's all computer generated but it is it is hilarious it is absolutely hilarious this the squirrel is perpetually hungry and it manages to find its way into a donut shop and it wreaks havoc on this donut shop <laughs> it's worth watching just for the donut scene it's fantastic yeah. anyway so right. is that because of this little squirrel basically it's the reason for the the nuts get to be moved around and replanted. And the fact that we like Brazil nuts in a big way, they're actually being harvested and they're not actually having a chance to fall back down into the environment and get replanted again by this little agote, okay? Okay. Agote. But anyways, Matt, the same idea goes, okay? So because of climate change, things like bananas are going to have an issue, okay? So they, they recommend, they, they not recommend, but they say that roughly 15 to 20 years from now, Bananas, as we know, will no longer exist, Matthew. Is this the Cavendish only? Cavendish only, no. But there's nothing else to replace Cavendish. Okay. 95% of okay. our bananas All are right. Cavendish. So, okay, Th this, is, this is one of the extreme ones here, okay? What do they do? Like, what's the alternative here? How do you fix this? Because, listen, a world without bananas is a world that I do not want to live in. You know, I don't particularly like bananas. They say that everybody eats about 130 bananas a year, but 
I'm not crazy about them. You've been married to me for 46 years, oh. and you don't like them. Okay. No, I actually don't. No, no, no. Okay, look. No, no, no. How big are banana bread and banana muffins? But He's not crazy. talking about bananas. That's a big <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, you literally have just witnessed what my sister and I do that causes mouths full of bile that have ejected up from our stomachs up through our esophagus. Okay. Oh, my goodness. Okay. There will be no more. Wait a minute. Okay. So. You were saying, is there any alternatives? Okay, the alternative is, in the past, Matt, back in the 50s, 60s, they had something called Gross Michelle, is it called? Or yeah, I think in English it means Big Michael. Big Mike. But I'm not called. sure. And it was this banana back. <laughs> oh, God, There's a joke so there, too, here. let me tell you. <laughs> okay. But the Big Mike, okay. And it, it had the exact same thing, Matt. Panama disease, Fusarian wilt, that idea. Okay. So what they would have to do is they'd encroach into the rainforest and they would plant new bananas and so forth, okay? Yeah. But the idea, Matt, even today, okay, the Cavendish is basically 95% of what we eat today as a banana. Okay. But they say that because of the encroachment into the rainforest or the length of time in which this fungus is available in the soil is up 10 to 15 years. Yeah, what happens is if fusarium wilt gets into the soil, the bananas are done. And you can't plant anything there, anything banana-like or anything, for 10 to 15 years. You can't even walk on it. You, you can't walk on that soil and then go to another patch of land in the rainforest you've just cleared and walk on that and hope to plant banana, bananas there because you have transferred the fungus from your first infected plot into this brand-new soil. Really? So it's deadly. Yes. You can, yeah, yeah it's, that, it's that deadly. Okay, and where did this thing come from? I think it was in the environment, Matt, and there's really not much you can do about it. All right. Okay. So a couple other ones on my list here that sort of make me frightened as a horticulturist, as a landscaper, installing things. The first one here is Picea amorica. Now, we don't plant a lot of these things. This is a Serbian spruce. Beautiful, beautiful I, tree. I used to, Matt. Okay. The issue is that this thing is large. They are really big. This is like 50 to 60 feet tall, 25 to 30 at the base. Why is this thing so endangered what why well they say that fire and over exploitation and climate change and they say that people there uh people don't really want them in their yards because of their size i guess uh they want other tree species so i guess nurseries and that aren't growing them but this tree has been around for a long time you know it covered most of europe before the ice ages really and now it's only found in southeastern Europe. I guess that's why it's called Serbian spruce. It's down in the Balkans. Okay. And, uh, and former a, Yugoslavia and that. And again, we don't plant this. We're primarily doing subdivision subdivision landscapes, okay, and designing them. And you need a, a property that's big enough to hold something that is 25 feet at the base and 60 feet tall. Now, granted, some people would say, yeah, but it's not going to get that big in the lifetime of your customer. That's fine. But eventually it's going to get that big. So we don't put yeah, them on the property. Yeah, now if you have a big property, like if you have one of these estate properties, it would be an ideal tree, and it gets those lovely little purple cones. Oh, on they're it absolutely too. gorgeous. Okay, the other one too, and this frightens me. Now, granted, I don't use these a lot on sites anymore, simply because of the propensity of people having dogs, especially. But the Pacific U, right? Taxus brevifolia. Now we don't necessarily use the brevifolia. We would be using. Um, Taxus cuspidata, all of those types of varieties. But Dad, Media Hill, I mean, yeah, Hicks, exactly. Hicks, and, yeah. yeah, but why, Dad? Why is this Pacific U 
red listed? Why is this thing on on the brink? Well, man, it's it's one of the uh, it, it's actually out in the wild. Okay, so it's not something that you would see on a day to day basis. But if you've seen it out amongst the actual trees, Matt, it's pretty darn ugly. But the thing about it, Matt, is back in the 1960s, they thought they started doing a lot of testing on plants for potentials uh, for cancer medicines and so forth, right? Yeah. So they chose 15,000 plants for the initial test. Five made it to the advanced testing, and only one made it to the final testing and eventually into the pharmacies and so forth, and that was the Pacific U. And I think the reason it's disappearing is it's considered a weed tree. So until it was discovered to be so helpful for cancer, they, people were chopping it down. Okay. All right. On the list of trees... Wait a minute. One thing, though, Matt. Yeah. This is, here's the sad part about it. Remember we were talking here about extinction? Yes. How long do you think it's going to be around for? Just think about it. This thing's supposed to help with cancer. How long do you think it's going to be around for? 15 years. Two decades. You're close, man. Pretty darn close, Matt. Wow. Wow, that's that's actually frightening. It is wow. frightening. Okay, uh, on the list of trees that that you can that if extinction wants to grab them and take them, this one I wouldn't necessarily mind. Magnolia, whatever, I don't care. Like, take the damn tree. Officinalis, though, Matt. Okay? Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, the only reason why I say this is magnolia doesn't it, it, it doesn't do much. <laughs> you got the you got you have the flowers that come out in the spring. Great. Then what? Before the leaves. That's it. Before the leaves, and then what? Nothing. That's it. Big deal. Yes? I guess. But Matt, they're basically saying that approximately 131 of the 245 known magnolia tree species are under threat and disappearing. So there's a lot of people out there who like them. Like, I like them. I do too, in a way, but you're right. The blooms, once the blooms are done, they really aren't much to look at. But Matt, they came out of the temperate mountains of, say, in the valleys of China, and it was, it was used in traditional Chinese medicine. And Matt, the wild populations are com- completely being wiped out for what reason, Lynn? I think it's uh, land being cleared for agriculture. And what else are they using the bark for, Lynn? Medicinal oh, they're using purposes. it for all kinds of um, medicines. I, yeah. They use the bark for uh, stress medicine and anxiety medicine and uh, also for colds and flu. Same idea, Matt, as the Pacific U. They use the bark on that as well. Wow. Wow. Okay. Five minutes, guys. Look, we, you've, <laughs> this has been, uh, thank you very much, by the way, growingseasoncanada.com. Click on show bits for all of, uh, you know, if, if you want your depression levels to pin, this is, this is, this is the show this and wait show, for man. it, you know, and there's more because next okay. week we're no, going to no, no. give... let's, let's go the other way, Matt. Can yeah. we go the other way for a sec? Yes. Okay. So which trees would not have a problem with climate change and they would survive just fine. With now, plants, let's we say. only have five minutes. Is this okay, what you no want to do? Okay, no problem. Just give me a quick one here. What do you think would not have a problem with climate change? Well, I happen to have a list here. Ha-ha! Not the best. <laughs> no, 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 no. Not the hostess. Let's try something else. What else would not have an issue? Oh, well, daylilies, man. Bring them. Stelladoros would just be like, boy, I don't even care. Fine, bring it. I'm... Poison ivy. Poison oh ivy. Roots, radicans, Matt. Okay, Leatrice. I like. I like Leatrice. Yep. <laughs> yeah. How about ginkgo biloba? Yeah, love it. I love the ginkgo tree for sure. Yeah, they would do actually do very well with climate change happening. Really? Even a degree or two of, of extra temperature, it wouldn't care at all, Matt. Okay. 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 So now we've got three minutes and thirty seconds. What can we do? Okay, we'll let mom hit something that is really important as far as what can we do to help out endangered yeah. plants. You want to hear that, Matt? Yeah, go, Mom. 
Okay, visit botanical gardens. Make yourself aware of what these plants are. If you're planting a garden, plant native plants. If you're walking in the woods, never harvest uh, wild plants or endangered plants. Like, don't be digging up that trillium and bringing it home to put in your shade garden. Or, or the uh, ginseng, right? Or the ginseng. Or the ginseng, yeah. Don't buy invasive plants. Or that dandelion. Don't bring it home. Don't bring it home. <laughs> don't, don't plant invasive plants, okay? Because... Uh, look at the the invasive fragments, the non-native ones. They just yeah, take but over. you know what though, mom? It's not even that. It's people shouldn't be planting euonymus. Super invasive. No, I guess super, not. super, super invasive. Okay, yeah. Uh, minimize the use of herbicides and pesticides. We yeah, try to bad. do that as much yep. as we possible. Um, you know, do things politically to try and preserve your forests and wetlands. Ask your MP or MPP what is, what is the government their level of government doing for that um, protest against the new superhighway they're talking about building in the south end of Caledon. And here's one that I add. Uh, I don't know if this is considered uh, controversial or not. Learn to live small. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, think about, think globally. Think of the earth before, you know, I, I'm not going to go into details because uh, it's controversial, but you say, oh, well, I can afford this, you know, big house and this and this and this. Yes, maybe you can, but can the earth afford it? So learn to think, learn to live small. The other thing, too, is this, again, very, very simple things, because we see this on all these uh, all these gardening forums and gardening groups. Don't buy peat moss. Yeah, don't, don't buy peat moss. Don't buy peat moss, because, again, if people stop buying it, the industry slows down. Yeah, and, exactly. Capitalism. Right. Absolutely. And w- this is super, super destructive. The other thing, too, is that my that my wife and much thanks to the growing season and the fact that her husband is now back into landscape design and construction in a big way. One of the things that my wife, the lovely and talented Kelly Jordan McFarlane, wants to do is she wants to contact the town of Caledon and ask if there is a way that that we could organize some sort of pollinator initiative and get yeah. out and, and get out into parts of Caledon and start planting milkweed and start planting things that, I mean, I would have no problem supplying it. You know what? When you look at the different parks, I'm, I'm thinking of the park down the street from you, that lovely Forest Gate Park. Yeah. I'm thinking of the one down the street from us, Stephen Drive Park. There is a lot of grass there in the full sun. Wouldn't it be wonderful just to put a small pollinator garden in? But in you wouldn't parks. even have to do it in the middle. Put it on the perimeter. Yeah, put it on the perimeter and let it be perennial. They basically take care of themselves. Well, yeah, and especially... Once you wanted to set up something with one of the... Okay, yeah, so again, victim of COVID, but um, one of my... uh, I was contacted by the principal of of a school in the Brampton area, and she wanted us, she wanted the growing season to come in and do a course on teaching students how to build and care for pollinator gardens. Now, that's all still a go, once all of these restrictions lift, okay, and once things get back to normal. But to me, that was a wonderful, that was a wonderful, wonderful idea. Now, when we first talked about this show and we said it was depressing, one thing I want to say is I'm optimistic. And the reason I'm optimistic is not so much my generation, but I look at you, Matthew, and your sister and what you were taught in school and how aware you were made of the environment. And now I see it happening with my grandkids, just like the thing you just described. So, you know what? I'm honestly optimistic that we can turn this thing around, this climate crisis around and respect the Earth. 
And that is a wonderful place to press pause. All right, that's it. Another one. Again, ladies and gentlemen, please uh, excuse the uh, the uh, melancholy nature of parts of this show. This is not the typical growing season show, but again, I am glad that we we were able to get a little bit of levity in there. GrowingSeasonCanada.com. Click on Showbits. That's the visual accompaniment to the show. And immediately after this airs on radio, it will be podcasted and dropped into Showbits. So all you got to do is just click play on the podcast and scroll down. And in chronological order, you get to see all the death and destruction that we've talked about. We guys always end the show in a very, very similar fashion. This one is a short, sweet, but a good one. Actually, well, it's, it's good, and it's also very... It ties into the show a lot, because it's about death. So there you go. Um, <laughs> yeah. Guys, all mushrooms, all mushrooms are edible. But some mushrooms, Mom and Dad, are only edible once. <laughs> <laughs> Moral of the story is buy your mushrooms in a can. That's right. Mom? Till next time, have a good one, and please be safe. Jack out. If you miss any part of our show today or any of our earlier broadcasts, don't panic. Just log on to our website at www.saga960am.ca backslash podcasts and look for and stream our podcasts of this show and any of our other great programs.